Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. There's just nothing on earth better than just being in his presence, worshiping him. It's just... Um, God, I just thank you for, for what you're doing in, in the hearts of so many people around the world, God, in this church family, in your bride, uh, everywhere, Father. I just thank you for that. I thank you that we live in this time, God, that we're here to see you move and to be part of what you're doing on this earth. God, we count it a privilege to get to be a part of the story of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and of people coming to know you, the one true God. I just We thank you for that, Father. We, just, we count it a privilege. We never want to lose sight of what we've been entrusted with and what an honor it is to be given the name Christians, followers of Christ, anointed ones. Thank you that we value your anointing, God. That we would value the anointing of you on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, so how many of you guys, uh, who, if you were here last week, we talked about exchanging the last 30 minutes of your day to give him the first 30 minutes of your next day. So the idea was that if you just go to bed a half hour earlier, you could wake up a half hour earlier and you could actually spend that time with him. And, 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 and I challenged us as a church family, and I, don't, I very rarely do that as a pastor, say, I feel like we all need to do this or we all need to do that, besides obviously follow Jesus and love him and those kind of things. But, um, but I really felt like it was something for our church family to, to say yes to as a, as a body, as a, as a group of believers to say that, you know, we will, we'll give you the last half hour of our day so that we can give you the first half hour of our day and, and spend it with you, spend it in... In, in stillness before you, spend it hearing and listening for your voice, spend it praying and spend it uh, in reading your word and writing down what we feel like you're saying and writing down prayers. And so how many of you guys did that in the past week? That's less than said you would. I mean, some of you said you would and you didn't follow through. You know what's amazing? There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, but you could do it this week. I'm challenging you to do it for 30 days straight, to commit to, we live in the most non-committed society that has ever existed on the face of the earth. You think about it, like, the, you know what the biggest attraction that gyms can put on their sign is? No commitment. Literally, it's like, you don't have to worry about committing. And, and, and people see no commitment, and they're like, oh, yes, thank you, Lord, a place that I can go to with no commitment and keep this commitment that I made to work out. Um, but, but seriously, I, I, would, I would challenge you to, because I think if you'll give him 30 days of doing that, you'll give him the rest of your life of doing it. And I won't have to try to tell you how amazing it is, because you'll experience it for yourself, and it'll become this thing where it's like, I, I need that time with you, God. I need to start my day finding you and seeking you and finding you early. You know, there's something about the early morning. It just it says it throughout the word, you know, early will I seek you. It says in Jesus, while others were asleep, got up early and went off to a, a, a quiet place to be alone with the Father and pray. It, it, there's just something about that, that saying, like, 
it, no, I don't know what's going to happen today, and there are going to be things that are going to be outside of my control. So while I have control of what I do, I'm going to surrender that time to you and make sure that as a priority, I seek you and I find you early in the morning so that no matter what happens the rest of the day, I'm living out of overflow of finding you, not trying to find you in those moments. Because how many of you know that like your day sometimes doesn't go how you planned? And trying to find him in the middle of the storm is a whole lot harder than finding him in the quiet and then walking into the storm, carrying the presence, carrying that, that time with him, carrying what you found in the morning with you rather than trying to find it in those moments. Not that you can't. I mean, you know, if you didn't spend it with him and you find yourself in one of those moments, seek him. But man, what an idea to just say, God, I want to find you and seek you in the morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get with you. I'm going to hear from you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you my ear. I'm going to incline my ear to hear what you might have to say to me, Father. And, and the truth of the matter is, I said this last week, and I firmly believe this, the more we will do that intentionally and give him a place of value for his voice in our lives, the more we'll hear him times when we're not actually listening for his voice. The more intentional we are about hearing his voice and valuing it, the more we'll begin to hear him at times that we're not even listening for his voice. Why? Because there's a principle in the word that says, don't cast your pearl before swine. And if God calls us to live that way, then it's safe to assume that he himself operates under that same thing. Meaning what? Don't give something of value to someone or something that has no value for it. And if God values his word even above his name, then it's safe to say that to him his word is valuable. And if we show him that we value his word, he may be more inclined to give us his word. And if we show him that we, we actually can be entrusted with it, we'll be entrusted with it more and more often. I honestly believe that. And I can say that because I can find the principle in the Word. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today is a couple things. Um, but the first thing is, is so, so if, you, if you feel like you heard God speak to you, and how, how many of you know that, that a lot of us have heard God speak, we just didn't know it was God? Because God is spirit, right? And so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So if God is spirit and his spirit dwells within us, then most of what we hear from God is probably going to come from within us. How many of you guys have ever had something happen? You look back on it and you're like, I knew it. It might have been the Lord that showed you that. It might have been human reasoning and logic that put two and two together, but, but a lot of times it's actually the Lord speaking to us, and we don't realize it in the moment if we don't actually value his voice and learn what his voice sounds like. Jesus said, my sheep... Hear my voice. How many of you know that if you're following Jesus, he's the good shepherd? That makes you sheep. Jesus said this. This isn't me or my theology. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they know my voice. So that means that you can both hear and know the voice of God. And so, the, so if you feel like you hear him speak, and we talked last week about, you know, chewing on the word and dwelling on the word and, and hearing him through his word, but, but there's also the spirit of God within you that he said would lead you and guide you into all truth. Um, he said, everything that's the Father's has been made known to me, and he, the spirit of God, will take that and make it known unto you, meaning what? The spirit of God is going to speak to you the deep things of God. And so if you feel like you've heard God, there's a few things and over the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about them because there's a few things that, that we really need to be careful about because if you don't have some kind of parameters in place, it could get sketchy quick. How many of you guys understand that, that cults form when someone claims to be the person that hears God and nobody questions it and there's nothing that you can take that says, no, that's not God? That's how cults happen. You know, you know people who have a hunger for authority will often elevate themselves to a position of having something that you don't. 
Do you, do you realize that like the Lord is no respecter of persons, meaning what every one of us has equal opportunity to know him? That doesn't mean we all know him equally. That doesn't mean that. Because that can lead to a lazy attitude that says, well, God's no respecter of persons. He won't give something to you that he won't give to me. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not true at all. Because he said he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we have to harmonize each side of the Bible. One says that he's not a respecter of person. The other says that he gives the rewards those who diligently seek him. Meaning what? That every single person has the opportunity to diligently seek him. But the ones who are diligently seeking him are the ones who are receiving from him. So, so there is nobody that has greater access to the Father than you. Period. And if anyone ever tries to tell you that, there's a good chance that they have a need to control. And they probably are trying to manipulate through making you think they have something that you not only don't have, you can't have. Run from that. I'm serious. Run away from that. Now, there may be people in your life that you understand maybe have spent more time seeking him, have received more. Paul said, that which I received from the Lord, I also make known to you, meaning what? God showed me something he probably hasn't showed you guys. I'm going to show you. But every one of us has the opportunity to seek him and know him for ourselves. I don't know why I need to say that, but I'm telling you, listen to me. You don't ever, ever, ever come under the authority of someone who dangles over your head that they have something in the Lord that you can't have. If they make what they have unreachable, it's not from the Lord. Jesus came down off the mountain. Remember, it used to be, who can ascend the, the, the mountain of God? He who has clean hands and, and a pure heart, and it was limited to these special number of people, which wasn't God's purpose to begin with. It wasn't the way God wanted to relate to the people. Remember, he told Moses, call all the people to come up to me, and I'll speak with them. And they said, Moses, you go, because if we hear him, we'll die. And so man chose to have someone go between them and God. And so only the select few could actually approach the Lord and ascend the hill of the Lord and be in his presence. But then the beautiful thing about the gospel is that Jesus came, God came and descended down off the mountain and came and walked among men. And it's no longer he who has clean hands and a pure heart because of their own that can approach God. It's God came and approached man so that man could have clean hands and a pure heart. And so the gospel says that Jesus came and made every mountain low and every valley high, meaning what? He took everybody and made it an even playing field. There's no more special anointing only available to the chosen few who happen to be born into the right family or happen to have kept the right laws. It's now every single person has been given the offer of God to come and know me and be known by me. And every one of us has the ability and the call of God to pursue him and to know him. Now, we all have special gifts and talents that he gives as he wills, but nobody's gift makes a place where they have something in the Lord that they can ever use to control you. It should always be to build you up because the gifts are given for the edification and the building up of the body, not the suppressing and the holding down. Someone needs to hear this. Listen, I'm telling you. It is never, a gift is never given to put people under, their, under your thumb. Jesus said, now you know that the Gentiles lord things over people, but not so with you. If any of you would become great in the kingdom, you must become the servant of all. And Jesus, who was the one who actually had something that nobody else could have up to that time because he was actually born spotless, he was born of the Holy Spirit, he was born without the sin of Adam being passed to him, he kneels down and washes the feet of the man who's going to sell him into slavery. Knowing that Judas had already allowed this Satan to enter into his heart, Jesus the anointed one, the Christ, wraps himself with a towel, 
kneels down and washes the feet of the man who would sell him for 30 pieces of silver. That's what servant leadership looks like. He didn't sit back and put people under his thumb and use the anointing of God on his life to try to control people. He used it to see other people come to know God, come to know the Father. So he said, listen, I came to reveal the Father. I didn't come to reveal me. Jesus wouldn't even make that claim about himself. He said, I came and I lived the way I lived so that you could get a glimpse of what the Father's like. If you've seen me, you've seen him. And as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. Meaning what? Go low, serve people, make sure that your gifting is pointing them to the Father, not bringing attention to yourself, and never use what you have to lord it over people. When Jesus said that, it was a very strong statement when he said the Gentiles, meaning what? Those that don't know God use their authority to lord over people, but not so with you. What was he saying? Don't you ever get drawn into that system where you use authority to lord over people. You remember that true authority comes so that others can come to know him, and you lay it down so that God can raise up people by your life. All right, that was free. We'll get to what you tied for in a second. Um, but so, I didn't know where I was going with that, but man, I'm telling you, that felt really, really strong. Um, when I get like that, like I promise you, I'm not mad and I love you. I just have a hard time putting a big smile on my face when I'm talking so intensely. But I promise you, like, there's nothing but love in my heart. And I honestly feel protective over you guys and over the people that will hear this message. I feel a protective thing when I say something like that because I really feel like it's for our good that he's speaking these things. Because there's just been too much control and manipulation that's gone on in the name of Jesus. And it's wrong and it breaks his heart and it's an unlawful use of authority. And it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Um, all right. So if you feel like you've heard the Lord, um, there's a few things that I think help us to, to kind of stay on track. That's where I was going with it. If we don't have these things in place, it can get really weird. Um, because what happens is sometimes is, is we, um, if we're not careful, we're not secure in who we are in Christ, want to use revelation to try to make a picture of ourselves to people to present ourselves in a certain way rather than just using it to actually submit to people so that their lives can be changed by what God's shown us. And so, um, and so it, be, be really careful. First thing is just be really careful with the language that we use when we talk to each other about hearing the voice of the Lord. W- whether it's revelation he gave through studying the word or whether you feel like the spirit of God inside said something or whether you feel like God spoke audibly, whatever, however that worked, or a dream or a vision or something like that. Because uh, it, here's the thing. If you go to someone and you said, God said this, you put them in the position now of determining whether or not God said that. And they either have to say, yes, he did, or they have to tell you that you didn't hear God. And it doesn't really leave a whole lot of room for a discussion the way if you were to say to someone, you know, I don't know, I was reading and I felt like the Lord showed me this. What do you think about this? That's a humble presentation of something that invites dialogue. The the authoritarian, this is what the Lord said, it kind of, if you're not careful, it can almost be a trump card. You know, like sometimes I'll be counseling people and they'll pull out the, well, God said thing. And they say something, and it forces you into a corner of either saying, okay, because there's really nothing more for me to say at that point. When you tell me God spoke this to you, me giving you my opinion would be giving you something that might oppose the voice of God in your life. I'm not going to do that unless what you say goes against what God has already spoken in Scripture. And so it forces me to just say, okay. 
there's not really a whole lot I can say about that. But if, if we're talking and you say, you know, I, I don't know, I was just praying and I really felt this and I felt like maybe God was showing me this. And then it opens dialogue and we can talk about it. And we say, well, you know, there's a verse that says this. And we start finding, you know, common ground in it. And we start working it out together and submitting it one to another and stuff. And we're going to talk about that more next week. But, but the first thing is, is does, does what I feel like God is showing me oppose what he's already said? Because if, if, if you feel like God is showing you something, I promise you, it's not going to oppose what he's already shown the rest of the world through his written word. And so, so the first thing that we do is we say, well, well, does this line up with scripture? And I'm not talking about being the people for the sake of being contentious to say, well, show me that in the Bible. That's not what this is about. Because here's the thing. There are things that God will speak to you that you can't open to a book and say, this is when God said this. But if you know him through knowing his word, you know his character, you know his nature, you know the principles that he's put into place, and you know the way he speaks to his people, you can say, well, well I mean, I, you know, it, so take, for example, you're trying to decide between two jobs. And some people will tell you that, that, that you know, well, God doesn't care. Just pick one. But, but is that true? Or does God actually care about the details of our lives? I, can find a ver- I can't find a verse that says God will tell you what job to take. This is how this works, okay? I don't have a verse that says God will tell you which job to take. But I do have a verse that says this in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You know, and when you look that word all up in the original language, it means all. It doesn't just mean like big, important. It doesn't. It says in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. So what is this saying? It's saying, listen, there's going to be things in life. Here's the thing. When you're living the Christian life following Jesus, the choices that you're going to be making a lot of times are between good and God. Hopefully we've got to a point where, where like sinning isn't a viable option. and We're trying to like really wrestle with should I sin or should I not sin? Like, like as we follow him and, and we become sanctified and we become like him and his, we become partakers of the new nature, the divine nature. And it says, I will give them a heart and their heart will be to know me. He talks about changing our desires. He said, I'll give them the desires of their heart. We find our, the desires of our heart line up with what he wants for us because he put them there. And so as we become like him, and the longer we follow him, the more we find ourselves having to choose between things that are good and God. And, and honestly, maybe either one of them would be fine, but maybe only one of them is his best. And so this is what that verse means, and, it, and it's really clear when you look at it in the original language. It says this. It says, um, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Um, that word ways there is the word direct, which where we get directions from, actually. It's, it's, it means a road, a course of life, or an action. In all the way, in all my, it says, in all my ways, in all the roads that my life will take, in all the paths that my life will take, in, in, or every course of action that I feel led to take, I should acknowledge him. And that, the word acknowledge there is the word yada, which means to know or to ascertain by seeing. So what is the promise of God? The promise of God is this, is that when I face a decision, when there's something in my life that I'm facing, if I will not just go with my own wisdom and my own understanding, how many of you guys realize that sometimes what God has for us is dressed up in a package that looks nowhere near as nice as the rest of the options and presented to us? I have a friend, um, I've shared this story in first service, and um, I have a friend who was offered a job, and she prayed about it and really felt the Lord was saying to take this job. And the more she prayed, the more sure she became that, that the Lord was telling her to take this job. And so she went to her boss. She talked to her husband about it. And he did a really wise thing. He, he said he prayed about it, didn't feel one way or the other. So he said, honey, I think the Lord wants you to choose because you're the one that's going to be taking the job. 
And so um, it's okay to say, I'm not sure. Just because you're the husband doesn't mean that you're always going to have the answer. Maybe the answer sometimes is, I think God's trusting you, hon. What do you want to do? And it's a good opportunity for as a husband to show that we actually trust that our wife can hear the voice of the Lord too. And he's not going to lead you into confusion and make the husband say one thing. If, 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 if a husband and a wife have a disagreement, one of them is not hearing the Lord. Because it says, have you not heard that from the beginning the two shall become one? One flesh, what God has joined together, therefore let no man separate. Meaning what? God doesn't speak separately to husband and wife. He's speaking the same thing to both of them. If they're in disagreement, one of them isn't hearing my advices. If you have disagreement about something, if, if there's not a clear, you know, if one of them comes home and says, you know, honey, I was, you know, if the, if the wife has come home and say, you know, honey, I was thinking that, that maybe we should entertain the idea of bringing in a couple more husbands for me. How many of you know that, like, that there's an answer straight in the word about that? So probably no, that's not a good idea. But... But if it's something you can't find a direct answer to in the word and you have disagreement, the best course of action is probably say, you know, let's just sit on this until one of us hears differently. Because there's no way God is speaking one thing to you and a different thing to me. So one of us isn't. And be humble and just say, you know, what? I'm willing to say it may be me. I may be missing it. I may have a want or a desire or just haven't spent the time being honest to seek and hear his voice. So maybe I'm missing it. But right now, I just don't feel like that's what the Lord's saying we should do. So let's just put this on hold until we... Now, now here's the other part of that. If you say that, you have to actually do that and then be obedient to what he speaks. You can't just delay something by saying, well, I don't agree with that, so let's just put that on hold until we both hear from the Lord and then not actually seek the Lord for an answer. So, so she felt like she was supposed to take this job, and so she went to her other work and told them, hey, guys, I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm leaving. I, I'm going to put in a two-weeks notice. I've been offered another job, and I really feel like I'm supposed to take it. And they said to her, no, don't leave. They said, we, we want you to stay. In fact, why don't you write up what you would want to stay? No matter how crazy it seems, your salary, your benefits, your, 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 your job responsibilities, all that stuff, just write up your dream job offer and give it to us, and we'll see what we can do. So she was like, okay. So she wrote one up, handed it to them, and they said, we'll, we'll do all of that and more. Where's this job? <laughs> Well, I, as her spiritual leader, know something that you don't. <laughs> but for a certain sum of money. So, but she still felt like, in praying about it and pressing into it, she felt like God was saying not to say yes to the great offer and to take the smaller job with less money, with less glamour, with less title and position with a smaller company. And so... She did. Here's the thing. If she's leaning on her own understanding and her husband is leaning on his own understanding and not acknowledging the Lord in that, how many of you know that wisdom of this world says you take the best job with the best answer and the best promise of promotion, and it makes it such an easy decision if you go by natural wisdom? The problem with that is, is that we're not called to lean on our own understanding. We're called in all of our ways to acknowledge him and trust that he will show us the way. You know what the word straight means? Whoa. I'm going to go back a little bit. That word straight there means even, level, or to make prosperous. 
So this is what the Lord is saying. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. That's not to say that we don't have natural wisdom that we're born with and not to say that we don't have reasoning given to us by God, but don't lean on that only. But in all of our ways, acknowledge him. So does God care about what job you take? Yeah. Will God speak to you about what job you take? Maybe if you ask him, he will. Because he said, if you would acknowledge him, if you would seek to know him, he would make clear to you and let you see the path that is straight, even, and, and is prosperous. So, so you can stand there and say, well, I don't, you know, I don't think God cares about that, so I'm not going to ask him. Guess what? He probably won't speak to it because you haven't acknowledged him. How many times did he call Samuel's name before he spoke to Samuel? As many times as it took for Samuel to acknowledge him and say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And so I don't have a verse that says that God cares. When people say, well, you know, what about the person that I marry? I believe that God cares about who you marry. I believe that if you would go to him and seek him and you would actually not lean on your own understanding, not lean on what, what, what the wisdom of the world says, but you would actually go to him and say, Lord, this is a big decision for me. Honestly, the biggest things that I've seen that have changed people's lives and in, impacted their lives is what they believe about God, who they marry, and the friends they surround themselves with. Those are the three biggest influences that I've seen that have made such a huge difference on, on the way people live their lives. And so if God cares about what you believe about him, he very much cares about that. And if God's word has a lot to say about the kind of people we surround ourselves with, how many of you think it's a safe bet that he probably cares who we give ourselves to be in covenant and spend the rest of our lives with and make ourselves one flesh with? He cares. He cares. Now, some people would say, well, well yeah, but God never spoke to me about it. Being honest, how many people actually went to him and said, Lord, I want to be married right now, and, and you know that in my own reasoning, in my own logic, I'm thinking this, but God, I want to yield that to you, and I want to acknowledge you in this path of my life, and I want to lean on your understanding, and I'm trusting that you'll show me, God, don't let me jump into something until my heart and the heart of the person that you have for me is ready. God, show me who it is that you would join me together with, and we would be one flesh for the rest of our lives, because I believe that you prepared me beforehand for good works that I should walk in, and I believe that my marriage is part of that. And so, God, I don't want to just jump out in my own reasoning. Now, here's the thing. How many of us lived our lives ignorant to the fact that God wanted to have an opinion and God wanted to speak to us about the things, the big decisions we make in our lives? I did. You know what the beauty of this is? It says he can make the path straight. So this minute, this day, you can actually get before him. You can say, you know what, God? I actually didn't yield to you in a lot of the things in my life. And I've kind of made a mess, and my path is far from straight. In fact, it's a crooked mess that looks more like a snake than an arrow. But God, you said that you could make that straight if I would acknowledge you. So from this day forward, Father, I'm not leaning on my own understanding. You could get alone with him today and you could actually tell him this, God, for the rest of my life, I will never again go back to leaning on my own understanding. In all of my ways, God, I want to be obedient to what your word says. I want to acknowledge you and I'm trusting that you will let me see the path that is straight, the path that is prosperous. And that you're able to make even the crookedness of my path straight because you're a redeemer. It's what you do. You know, you could start that today. So we have to get away from the idea that if you can hear God speak, then you have to be able to look to a verse in the Bible that proves the exact thing that you're saying that God said. And we have to understand something. Turn, open your Bibles real quick to Acts chapter 17. We'll make this official with Scripture before we move to the next thing. Um, Acts chapter 17, verse 10. This is talking about uh, Paul and Silas. It says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word. What word did they receive from Paul and Silas? The gospel. 
That's what Paul went everywhere preaching. That's what the letters that he wrote were saying. They received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Can I ask you something? When Paul stood before them and said, you have to be born again, if any man's in Christ, he's therefore now a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and everything's become new. Where could they look in the Old Testament? Because the New Testament and none of his letters were published at that time. Where could they look in the Old Testament to see where Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom? Where could they go and say, well, Paul said this, show me scripture and verse in the Old Testament that says that I have to be born again and be a new creation in Christ. They couldn't. They could find the prophecies of the Old Testament, and they could find the character and nature and the promise of redemption in the Old Testament. So what were they doing when they searched the scriptures? They weren't looking to say, well, show me where the Bible says that. They were looking to find the heart and the nature and character of God and his promise of redemption and saying, what Paul is saying lines up with what God has already spoken for centuries past. Everything that he's saying lines up with what God has already said. And everything that he's saying points to what the prophecy said about Jesus. But with Paul was preaching the same things he was writing, which we have to believe that it would be really weird if Paul went around preaching one message and writing another message. So we have to believe that if Paul was constantly talking about the old has passed and all things being made new and that everything was, that you had to be born again and filled with the Spirit and all these things, how many of you know that he, they couldn't look in the Old Testament and find Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again and say, oh, okay, well, here's where Jesus said that, so that makes sense and it confirms it because the Gospel of Matthew hadn't even been printed at that time. It wasn't widely circulated. They were searching the Old Testament. They were searching the prophecies, and they were saying, this lines up with what we see about the character and nature of God. And when he said, there's one coming who's going to crush your heel, or you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head, and he said that he would make a way of redemption, and he said that he would bring forth his son out of, out of um, uh, uh, Bethlehem, and, and he said that he would do this. And they found all the scriptures, they found all the prophecies, and they said, this lines up with everything God said, and so they believed him. It says that as a result, many of them were saved. What were they hearing? They were hearing the message of the gospel. Where could they find it in the Old Testament? They couldn't exactly. So I, I just want to, I'm saying that to say, like, like, don't think that just because we say tested against the word of God, that it means that everything God said, you'll be able to find an exact quote that lines up with it in the Bible. But it will never oppose what's already been said, and it will line up with the character and the nature and the heart of the Father as revealed by the, by the scriptures. If it passes that test, that's probably the first test that I would recommend for everything. Does this oppose what's written in scripture? And it doesn't matter how much you want it to be true. If your feelings or what you believe you're hearing from God oppose what God has spoke in his word, it's not God. Because he's not a man that he should lie. So he can't contradict what he's already spoken. So the first test is, does it line up with the scripture? The the second thing that that I would say is to, to ask God to confirm it. You realize that God's okay with you asking him to confirm his word? In fact, you can find examples of it throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where that people asked God to confirm his word. And you know that God was never angry and always confirmed the word of people who asked him in faith because they wanted to believe? You know the people that didn't get the confirmation? It was those who didn't believe that said, I don't believe that. If you are, why don't you do this? If you're the son of God, cast yourself down off, off the cross. If you're the son of God, turn that to bread. What is it? It's a, it when there's a mocking, disbelieving heart, that is asking for confirmation, Jesus said, I'm not going to give you any answer. 
Pilate and they brought him before and they were questioning, they're saying if and this, and they don't believe that he is who he says he is. And because of their unbelief, Jesus looks at him and says, I'll ask you a question. And they won't answer him. He says, then neither will I answer you. What's he saying? I don't feel responsible to confirm what's being asked in unbelief. Because God responds to faith. Now, now, turn in your Bibles real quick. I want to talk about Gideon and then we'll, we'll get over to uh, Peter in the New Testament. Judges chapter um, 6. This is an amazing story, and you can get so much out of this. And God showed me some things in here that, that I've never seen or heard before. And I, last night, I came upstairs, and I was so excited because I was, I was in my sauna, which is one of the places I love to go and hear God. And I was pouring over the story in my mind about Gideon and, and just getting revelation and revelation. And I found myself at the end of it. I was on my knees, and I'm just thanking him, and I'm telling him, God, thank you for anointing me. Thank you, God, for this. I need this. I cannot live without this. And that's why I was talking today about just valuing the anointing, like actually letting, letting that be so important in your life that you would say to God, like, God, don't let me do anything that would jeopardize the anointing on my life. Like, I value your anointing on my life more than anything. Don't let me do anything that would jeopardize that. And I was just, I was on my knees weeping, and then I got filled with this just amazing excitement. And I don't always have these feelings come, but man, they're amazing when they do, of I'm going to get to stand before people and present something that he's showed me, and it's going to bring revelation. And that's one of the most exciting feelings in the world. And so um, Judges chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Gideon replied, or remember, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. He's threshing in a, in a, wheat in a, in a, in a wine press. He's hiding in fear because of the, the, the Midianites. And it said, uh, the angel of the Lord comes and he says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, God has chosen you. You're going to deliver his people. You're going to destroy the Midianites. And Gideon answers this and says, if now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. How many of you know that like he's talking to an angel some people believe it was actually Jesus because it alternates back and forth between calling him God, Lord, and the angel of the Lord. But he's talking to an angel, and an angel's speaking to him and knows his name and says, Gideon, you're going to do this. And this is, the Lord sent me to, and you're going to do this. And, and how many of us believe that if an angel showed up and was speaking to you in the flesh, you may not need a sign? <laughs> but maybe Gideon knew that sometimes the enemy appears as an angel of light. And it was okay with God because he says to him, he says, you wait here. I'm going to go get something because I want you to confirm that it really is you speaking. And God's answer to him was not, oh, you of little faith, how long must I be with you? He didn't say that. He said this, I will wait until you return. God says, okay, I get it. Gideon wants to believe. He doesn't say, I don't believe you. If it's really you, then do this. He doesn't have an attitude of unbelief. Just really be careful that we don't allow ourselves to become cynical, that what we call questioning isn't actually cynicism and coming from a place of unbelief or coming from a place of pride and actually stay humble before the Lord so that we're in this place of saying, okay, God, I want to believe this, and if this is you, I believe it, but I just need you to show me that it's really you. God has no problem at all with that. He has no problem with someone in faith asking him to confirm their word because they really want to get it right. What God seemed to never want to respond to and didn't respond to favorably was people who had a, I don't believe you, and if it's true, then prove it attitude. They never received from the Lord. In fact, he said, you wicked and perverse generation seek after a sign. Why would he call people wicked and perverse for seeking after a sign on one hand when Peter says, if it's really you, bid me come, and he says, come. It was the heart behind it. Think about it, all right? I was going to get this later, but I'll get to it now. Peter is sitting in a boat with the rest of the disciples. The waves are coming, and they see Jesus walking towards them because Jesus had been up alone early to go and pray, and he sees the disciples. Imagine that. And he sees the disciples 
and they're in the boat, and they're panicking, and, and, and they're afraid. And so he comes. It says he was walking on the water, and they thought him to be a ghost. And he says, peace, it's me. And they, they, so they hear the word of the Lord come to them. It's Jesus speaking. And Peter says, if it's really you, then bid me come. Why didn't he look at Peter and say, you wicked and perverse man, always seeking after a sign? No sign will be given to you but the sign of Jonah. And I tell you, if you tear this temple down in three days, I'll rebuild it. Why wasn't that his response to Peter? I believe it was because the position of Peter's heart was, I want to believe it's you. In fact, I want to be with you. So if it's really you, tell me to come and I'll come. Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the boat. So Peter's heard the word of the Lord. He begins to walk on, he receives confirmation from the Lord, begins to walk on water. But then he takes his eyes off of the Lord and starts looking at the storm around him and begins to sink. And as I was meditating on this last night, I felt like the Lord said, many people give me their attention when they're waiting for an answer or when they're seeking confirmation. But once they have those, they take their eyes off of me and go about the doing. And you need to keep your eyes on me during the doing just as intently as you did during the seeking and during the confirmation. So many people will fast and pray wanting to know God's heart on something or will seek him diligently, asking him to confirm something. But once they have his heart and they feel like it's been confirmed, it's almost like, okay, thanks, God, I'm going to go do now. And they don't have the same diligence in seeking him in the doing that they did in the asking and in the confirming. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus just as tightly and as focused during the doing as you did towards the time of figuring out the calling or the confirmation of the calling. Believe me. Because the minute you take your eyes off of him, you start to look around at everything else. You start to think with your own understanding. What happened? For a moment, Peter's understanding and, and reasoning, he wasn't leaning on. He suspended reasoning and logic for a moment and acted in faith and walked on water. But when he looked around and took his eyes off of Jesus, he went from faith back to reasoning, understanding, and logic, and he realized I, that this is impossible. Man can't the law of gravity kicks in. The understanding of physics kicks in. What he's seen his whole life kicks in. And that's what motivates him in that moment. And suddenly he begins to sink. As intently as you seek him to know his heart for something, keep seeking him just as intently once you know his heart and are actually doing. So he says, wait right here and I'll return. So Gideon leaves. He goes off. He prepares an animal. He brings it back. It probably took a little while for him to do that. And God just patiently waits. You know that anything that God has called us to be, he is? If patience is a fruit of the Spirit, you know which tree it came from? It came from him. So if God calls us to be patient, how many of you understand that God is patient? Because he's wanting us to be like him. So if he wants us to be kind, that means it's because he's kind first. If he wants us to be gentle, it's because he's gentle first. If he wants us to be patient, it's because he's patient first. So he patiently waits while, while Gideon goes about preparing an animal, doing all that he does, brings it back, puts it on the altar, God tells him what to do, and then the angel of the Lord takes his staff, holds it out, and fire comes out of the staff and consumes the offering. How many of you guys think that now that you've seen an angel speak and you've seen fire come out of a staff and consume an offering, you probably would be pretty sure that it's the Lord and that you can do what he's calling you to do? I would. All of you guys would, but not Gideon. Because a little while later in Judges chapter 6, giving down to verse 36, Gideon's still bargaining with the Lord, asking him to confirm the word. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, 
I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon arose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So now he's got an angel speaking, fire consuming an offering, and everything else is dry and a fleece is wet. How many of you believe now at this point it would be settled in your heart and mind, okay, this is the Lord and I can do what he's called me to do? Me too, but not Gideon. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. You know why he said, do not be angry with me? Let me make one more request, I believe. I believe it's because his picture of God is a lot like most of our picture of God, and we don't understand his loving kindness and patience towards us, and we don't understand that he's more interested in a relationship with us than what we can do for him. So he sees God the way he sees a, 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 a taskmaster or the way he sees someone that he's called to only serve and not to know and be known by, and he thinks, man, this is now the fourth thing I'm going to ask. Surely he's going to get mad at me. So he says, don't be angry with me. Listen, the Lord's not angry with you when you're coming to him and asking something out of wanting to believe and wanting to do and wanting to be who he's called you to be. Because look at his response. He says, don't be angry. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry. Let the ground be covered with dew. And he's like asking God to do the hokey pokey, you know, like put your left foot in, put your left, you know, like God's dancing to Gideon's tune. Now you think about this. Let this crash in on your picture of God and realize that he is responding to the requests of a human being. Yahweh. The God of the universe, the God who is and was and is to come, who holds the universe together with his word, who measures the universe in the span of his palm. He says, this is how big the galaxy is, is responding to the requests of a human being. And not just once, not just twice. This is now the third thing that he's responding to and the fourth sign that he's given him. And he's not angry, and he's not frustrated, and he's not snapping at him. He says, listen, Gideon, I love you, and I know who you are. I saw you as a valiant warrior when you were down in the wine press, hiding in fear, threshing wheat, and I called you to be who you are, and I'm committed to you becoming that, and I'll do whatever I have to do so long as you trust me, and you keep your eyes on me. And there's faith in your heart. I'll keep doing whatever I have to do to get you to the place that I want you to be. Because I want you to know me and I want to know you more than I want to use you. God's a lover, not a user. He wants you to know him and he wants to be known. And your usefulness will flow from your knowledge of and your relationship with him. Your doing will flow out of the relationship that you have with him. He's not interested in just using you. He wants you to know him and trust him and your obedience to flow out of your knowledge of his heart for you. So he says, okay, I'll do it, Gideon. And he does it. But this is the most amazing part. Jump over ahead. And I promise I'm not pulling these out of context. You can read this whole, in fact, I'd encourage you to read this whole story because it's really just amazing. God will show you some awesome things in that that I'm not even talking about. Like, like, remember when Gideon, I, I was thinking about this earlier today as I was driving in, I was going through this story in my head. Remember when, when, um, when God says to Gideon, he says, there's too many people. 
Tell all the people that are afraid to go home. Gideon says, all you people who are afraid, go home. 10,000 of the 32,000 leave. You realize that, that we make a bigger deal about the people that are afraid and we blame things not happening because of people's fearfulness. And God says, listen to me, I'm going to bring it down to 300. It doesn't matter how many people are afraid. It matters that there's a few people that aren't. We can't sit back and blame the things that happen in this world on the lack of belief of other people because of the 32,000, only 1% of them needed to believe that God could do what he could do for God to do what he did. We got a whole lot more than 1% of people that believe God is able. We should be seeing him do more, not sitting around blaming the people that don't believe and making them the reason that we're not seeing the things happen that should be happening. See, he'll just show you stuff like that if you just read his word and ask him to speak. And so, so verse 7, I mean, chapter 7, verse 9, this is amazing to me. It says, now the same time it came about, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. God says, listen, it's time to go. I want you to go down into the camp because I've given it to you. But then he says this, but if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now listen to me. Why do you think God didn't wait for Gideon to ask him for a sign this time? I believe it was because the last time he asked for a sign, he thought that God was going to be upset and angry. I think that there was no way that he dared to ask God for another sign. But God knew what was in his heart. And so God said, you don't dare to ask me because you just don't know my goodness and my heart for you yet, Gideon, so I'll offer you something that you would never ask, but you actually need. He says, if you're afraid, it's okay. I'll give you another sign. He doesn't say to him, now's the time to go down to the camp and, and go against it, for I've given it into your hand. And if you're still afraid, then you're worthless to me and I'll find somebody else. It's okay, especially the bigger the thing that God's calling you to, to ask him to confirm it to you so that you can act in faith and not out of fear. Listen, it's, 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 if God says for me to jump down off of this stage, I don't have to confirm it with 17 people. Why? Because I'll be fine even if it's not God. Like literally, the things that God calls you to, that you're going to be fine even if it's not God and you think it's him, you know, you pray about it, you feel like it's the Lord. He says to give someone five bucks. You're going to be fine if it wasn't the Lord. And what have you done? You've sowed into somebody, you've been generous. Not not that big a deal. But we should find ourselves at some point in our lives facing things that if it's not him, we're actually not going to be okay. Otherwise, what's the need for faith? Faith is necessary when God calls us to something that says, if this isn't you, Lord, I'm not going to be okay. Listen, if Gideon goes with 300 men and tries to take on the host of the Midianites and it's not the Lord, he's not going to be okay. And God says, listen, I get it. I want you to go in faith. I'm interested in you going in faith, not just blind obedience. He would take that probably, but what he really wants is for Gideon's heart to be strengthened, his hands to be strengthened, so that when he walks down to fight them, he's actually going in faith and in the confidence of the Lord. And so he says, listen, if you're still afraid, you probably won't ask me for another sign because you were afraid to ask me for the last one. You realize he meets you where you are. He knows your heart. 
He's so committed to you, and he loves you so much that if he sees, you know what, you were afraid and timid to ask me for the last sign, there's no chance you're going to ask me for another one. Why? Because Gideon was like, look, I'm going to ask you for a third thing. Please don't be mad with me. Meaning what? I already think I've tested your patience to the limit. There's probably not much chance I'm going to test it again. So God says, and the thing that you need that you're afraid to ask for, I'll give you that. If you're still afraid, you got no, listen to what happens. He walks down into the camp, and he hears these men discussing a dream. Now, how many of you guys know that this dream came from the Lord? I had to. How foolish would it be to think that God would speak to people that hated him and were the enemies of his people through dreams, but he wouldn't speak to his people that way? So these guys are talking, and he says, I had a weird dream last night. I've dreamt that a loaf of bread came down and smashed the tent and overturned it and destroyed it. Now, if you don't believe the dream was from the Lord, you have to believe that the interpretation was. Because from that dream, the man says, oh, this is nothing more than Gideon. The sword of Gideon. And he is coming, and he is going to destroy Midian and all the camps. If you don't believe that the Lord will use dreams and the interpretation of dreams to speak to his people, you should probably get alone and ask him why he would use it to speak to people that hate him, that are his enemies, that he's about to destroy. And then ask why the Old Testament prophecy got brought into the New Testament when Peter stood before people and said, these are the last days, as was prophesied in the, by Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your men and women will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. That was for today. Because if those were the last days on that day, it's the laster days now. We probably need everything that they had and maybe even more in this time as we get closer to the end. I promise we don't need less. So here's something really cool, and I'll just close up with this. Sometimes the Lord will speak to you in a way that only you understand. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. You know, there's things that I can say. There's facial expressions I can make to my wife, and she knows exactly what I'm saying, and nobody else in the room has an idea. There's words that I could say to my wife. There's a name that I can say to my wife. There's all kinds of things that I can say that other people would under, have no clue what I'm talking about, but she would get it and know that's me talking to her about something. What I find amazing, and I think that God did this for Gideon's sake, is that he used a loaf of bread to smash the camps. Where was Gideon when God called him? What was he doing? Making wheat for bread. The one who God found hiding in fear, making wheat for bread, he speaks to with a dream that a loaf of bread smashes the enemy. And I bet in that moment, Gideon was like, oh yeah. And then when the guy said, this is Gideon, Gideon was like, yeah, that's me. I'm the loaf of bread. <laughs> Think about it. How confident do you think the loaf of bread was at that point? And it was only then that the Lord said, okay, now here's what I want you to do. Why? He wants to walk with you and talk with you and bring you to a place through relationship where you trust him so that you can do the things he's called you to do. And he has no problem with you saying, God, I think this is you, but I have to search your word because I just, I got to give thanks to this river that's flowing. And he has no problem with you. Listen, Peter did it. Gideon did it. Many people did it. 
It was their heart that mattered. The ones whose heart was to believe, God always honored. The one whose heart was disbelief and was saying it in a challenging, mocking way, he never gave him an answer. I don't think God confirms anything. I've told him to prove it to me, and he never has. He probably never will. Let it be to you according to your So seek the Lord this week. And if you feel like he's speaking something to you, well, like I said, the level of the word, the level of the call determines the level of confirming that you probably ought to seek after. You know, if God tells you, hey, you know, I, I, I want you to, to have so-and-so, ask them if they want to go for lunch. There's something I want you to talk to them about. They pray into it, make sure it's the Lord. But what's the worst that happens if it's not the Lord? You go have lunch with another person. You give a chance for the Holy Spirit to speak through you, for them to speak to you, however that works. Not a big deal. You build fellowship. You build relationship. Not a big deal. If you feel like God's telling you he wants you to sell your home and move to Alaska and deliver Bibles to Eskimos using snowmobiles, you probably ought to seek some confirmation. You probably ought to get alone with him and just make sure, God, this is going to be a life-changing thing. This is actually going to matter to a lot of people. It's going to drastically alter the course of my life. The path of my life could be completely different, and I'm okay with that. I just need to know this is you. I can find in your word where you said, take the gospel to all nations, so I already know it's within your heart for humanity, so I don't question that. But God, I need to know that this is actually what you're saying to me right now because I don't want to act on emotion because I saw a thing on TV about how the Eskimos deal with alcoholism and are unreached with the gospel. I want to act on your word and your word alone, so would you confirm it? And next week we're going to talk about the, another way that we confirm things, and that's through the counsel and the wisdom of godly friends and advisors around us, because the Bible has a lot to say that about submitting our stuff, ourselves to each other and about the wisdom that's found in a multitude of counsel. And so we're going to talk about that next week, but, but we can start with those two. Lord, I feel like this is you, and I can find in your word where this lines up with your character and your nature. It doesn't oppose scripture. In fact, it goes along with everything else that I see about who you are. Would you just confirm this is you, God? I just need to know. Now, here's what I will say. A lot of times the confirmation we receive now comes from within because the Spirit of God actually is within us, unlike the people then who didn't have the Spirit of God within them. So a lot of times it will come from an inner knowing of peace. A lot of times it will come through another believer who has the Spirit of God inside of them that will say something. You have no idea how many times people have, I've said something casually to somebody, and it's confirmed something the Lord was saying to them. And I didn't know. I didn't have this thus saith the Lord moment for them. You know, that's the, you know, the, 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 the teacher pose that they always paint Jesus with. You know, It wasn't like that. It wasn't like, thus saith the Lord, I have a confirming word for you. Actually, it was just the course of conversation. You look at them and say, hey, have you ever thought about this? And suddenly they look at you and they say, here's how that happens, right? So um, I texted a friend the other, a couple weeks ago. He's going through a hard time. And I just texted him. I said, hey, I'm praying for you. I just was checking up on you, seeing how you're doing. I don't know why I did it then. I felt like I was supposed to. He says, it's ridiculous that you texted me right when you did. And I said, just send him a question mark. And so I talked to him a little later on the phone. And he said, well, he said, I felt like the Lord was telling me that I need to be careful who I talk to right now because I don't want to, to share things with people that could influence people to see other people in a bad way. But I do feel like I need to have godly counsel in my life. So I told the Lord, I'm not going to reach out to anybody in the next 24 hours. I'm not calling or texting anybody. Let the people that you want to be a safe voice into my life and for me to speak to reach out to me and I'll know it's you. 
And he pulled his phone out to see what time it was because he was thinking about the 24-hour thing, and he saw my text sitting on his screen. And he said, wouldn't you know that there was two other people that I really look up to and respect that had texted me, and I felt like you were the third person. And that's why I said it was ridiculous that you're texting me that way. I didn't know. God didn't say, hey, I need you to confirm something to so-and-so. I just had this inner thing that said, I need to reach out to him right now, and I need to just let him know that I'm praying for him and encourage him. And he took that as confirmation because he had asked the Lord that. It's okay to do that. So God, we just thank you for that. We thank you that you're way more committed to us hearing your voice than we are to hearing it. Father, that, that, that wait, just a second, before you, before you bow your heads. This, this principle really should clear up things and, and help us understand things. When you talk to your, well, you, maybe you're not all my age. I'm 40. When I talk to a three-year-old, I take the responsibility to make sure that I speak to them in a way that they understand. Why? Because I really want them to understand what I'm saying. I'm not just speaking to waste words and breath. When God is speaking to us as a father speaking to his children, he takes the responsibility to make sure that he speaks to us in a way that we can hear and understand if we're listening. It's not as hard as we make it sometimes. So just let that take the pressure off. Let that demystify it and just realize like he wants to speak more than you want to hear because he's committed to you way more than you're committed to him. So, Father, thank you for that. I thank you for these, this, this amazing truth that we can find in your word. God, I thank you for, for the, the Bible that lets us know who you are, what you're like, how you deal with your children, what your heart is towards us, and what you've promised, God. I thank you that we have something solid that will endure forever, that we can take and submit what we think that you're saying to us or ideas that we have to it, God, and let it be a sifter. And let it be a, a bank to this river that you said would flow out of our innermost being. And God, I thank you that you're a God who, who will confirm himself to his people. God, that you're not in heaven irritated. You're in heaven with patience and loving kindness towards us. And you care more about our heart than you do our hand. Because you understand once you have our heart, you'll always have our hands. So I ask that you would speak to us, God, that we would spend the time, God, that we would sacrifice the last 30 of our day to give you the first 30. That we would just set ourselves aside to be with you, to hear you, to pray and speak to you, to read your word and record the things that you're saying to us, God, with a heart to know you. And I thank you that you come. You always come. In Jesus' name, amen.